by the way, if you're a public school teacher, a homeschool teacher, if you're a teacher, just kind of block this off for a minute because I don't want you to hate me. But we didn't play the summer reading game at our house. Uh, I felt like if I wanted my kids to read over the summer, I would tell them to do that rather than have the school system tell me to. So I told our kids they didn't have to do that. And uh, one of the teachers came up to me and said, uh, you know that they're going to get zeros on the test when they come back and get tested over those. And I said, so? It's just a grade. Yeah, that's the response I got from the teacher too. Exactly the same response. Um, So I don't know if you like to read or not, if you're reading anything this summer. I, uh, I had to ask the Lord to give me a love for reading when I went to college because it was far from anything I thought was useful when I was in school. And then I went to college, and those professors had this twisted thinking idea that thought I should have to read all the time. So God gave me a love for reading, and so I have a goal every year of how many books I'm going to read, and that takes me through the summer. But this, this summer, and especially this day, I want to train your thinking towards a different kind of reading. And we have the summer to practice this. We're uh, in, in the a, kind of a a time in our life of a church. We're kind of at some crossroads here, and it's a good time for us. Looking for a music minister, by the way. April and Jason, thank you so much for being here again. We're glad to have you and your family with us. Do a great job, and we appreciate you coming. Thank you very much. Um, They'll be here with us through the month of June, and so I hope that you'll make it a point to get to know them. Very, very fine people. But as it comes for this crossroads that we're in as a church, we need to train ourselves to read some things well. And especially, we need to be able to read the the circumstances and the situations of our life in, in an accurate way. But in order to do that, we need the right filters for reading. Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. We'll be looking at a passage of scripture that is actually found also in the book of Numbers. Uh, It's one of those famous moments or episodes in the life of the children of Israel. And as Moses comes now on the the eve of the children of Israel crossing into the promised land, um, he goes and he recounts for them some of the law that God has given. The name of the book of Deuteronomy literally means a second law. And it's not that it's new, it's just that it's a retelling. It is a reminder to the children of Israel uh, on the eve of going into the promised land and all of the occupation and the battles and stuff that will come with them. Moses says, I want you to be able to look backwards and trace the hand of God and let that propel you onward into the future that God has for you. And so this summer, as I preach through... Okay, so it's looking like I'm going to preach through the first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. The plan is to get a lot further through it. But in this, we find a recounting that also propels us forward and onward. Particularly today, I want us to get this summer reading plan in place so that we interpret the events of our lives well and we see the landscape well. But in order for us to do that, we've got to learn to read the circumstances and the situations that are in front of us through the filter of God's specific promises and directives to us. As we do this today, uh, I'm going to try to take us on a bit of a journey. 
I'll pull a lot of my own background into this because it's, it's the most familiar I am with some of the specific con, uh, concepts that we're going to be pushing out here today. But I don't want, to, want us to miss this. If we don't learn to, to read the circumstances and the situations of our life through the filter of God's promises, then it delays and might even destroy our opportunity to be faithful to God as individuals and as a church. So we start with this basic truth, and that is that God speaks to us and gives us specific promises, specific directives into our lives that that propel us forward. Now, here's my concern, and, and here's part of what I know that I'm working against today. Most of us in here, maybe all of us in here, have this general idea of God's word to us and God's promises for us. For instance, I use this one in the early service. For God takes everything that's part of our lives and he has a way of turning it to our good. He takes us through problems and situations in life and we know those truths and we can hang on to those truths and often we even so embrace those truths that we find ways to get them in front of us. And so we frame art, for instance, that has that kind of truth in it. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Those kind of truths that we hear that and we go, yes, I like that. And so we hold on to it, but we take it in a general kind of a fashion. What I'm talking about today, though, is not the general fashion kind of truth. I'm talking about God specifically zeroing in on your situation with a direct communication as to what his will for your life is, what his promise for your life is, and what his directives are for you. Case in point, in this passage, and and this is not really the text for today because we've already preached through this, but let me go back and give you a couple of these very specific to the moment kind of promises or directives that God gives. In Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses says to them, and this is in verse six, six through eight to be exact. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Now, wait a minute, time out. Let me just make sure we're on the same page. Does that sound like it's tied to a specific situation? Okay, maybe. So we're going to start over. No, I'm not going to do that to you. All right? Does that sound like a specific situation that God is speaking to? Verse 6, the Lord our God has said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Do you hear the specificity of that statement? You have stayed long enough at this mountain, tied in time to a moment. Verse 7, turn aside or turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and all their neighbors in the Arava, in the hill country and in the lowlands and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, here's the promise. Here's the specific promise to them. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. God speaks directly to his people. He speaks directly to a moment. He speaks directly and with specific input as to what his plan is for them. Go in, I'm giving you this land. Well, if that's not enough for you, for emphasis, verse 21 
adds the following, verse 21. See the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And so with this, what we find is God clearly stating to them, this is my plan for you at this moment. Just so you know, God still communicates that way to us. Now, I need to probably stop and let that kind of sprinkle over you a little bit because I think that we fall into a little bit of this idea where we can just take those general big truths about God and about his plans for us and we hold on to the big general stuff but when it comes to the dirty everyday living kind of stuff that we go through we just hold the big general stuff without seeking out the specific a good prayer is God I know you said that you'll supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory, et cetera. And we could talk about that and probably should. But at this moment, I have a bill that needs to be paid and I don't have money for it. Okay, now that's not, I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not asking for somebody to come up and give me money afterwards, okay? I'm not doing that. I won't even take it. Well, I might take it, but um, <laughs> it's an example I have this relationship problem, and you know, God, that 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 woman, you stuck in my life. Now, I love the one that God stuck in my life. It's another example, okay, just trying to get real with you. That individual, that coworker, that boss, that relationship problem, God, what, what what do you want me to do with that? Or maybe it's a promotion. And you're given this opportunity, this promotion where you could in fact own the world. Does God automatically say, oh sure, that's good for you to do. Or does God have something to say to you in the face of that? We should know those big overarching general truths and promises of God. We should know those. We should teach them to our children. We should live those. But let me tell you, that is no substitution for the voice of God speaking into your situation at a given moment that says, this is my plan for you. So don't settle for second best. And that might be a little hard to hear, and I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying. Those big general truths are great, and we should have those. But you know what? When God says, I would rather have a discussion with you than you just read my word and know that I'm out there somewhere. I love you. So let's talk. So God's direct input for Israel was, let's get in there and get this land. God still gives that kind of clear direction. And when he gives us that kind of clear direction, we automatically then face this choice. Will I obey or will I disobey? Let me just stop for a minute and ask you. Are you functioning today as a Christian based on God's specific input with you about your situation in life today? Or are you living under just the general principles? Is God real enough to you that you have heard from him, this is my plan for you in this situation? 
He, he wants that. He, he wants the, the give and take, the relationship orientation that is marked by fellowship where we hear what he has to say because he has a lot to say to us about our lives. Let me give you an example of that for me. I, I had a situation in my life. I was a youth minister. I'd been a youth minister for a long time by this time. And we uh, took a bunch of people from our church in New Mexico over to Glorietta Conference Center, which is outside of Santa Fe, and it was a Sunday school training week, and so we took a bunch of people out there. And uh, I was youth minister in the church, but I was also the bus driver for a lot of different things. So I took a bunch of people, and Teresa and I had the chance because of that. It was not a youth function, and so I, we just went as a family. And we were sitting together, and, and just so you know, I'm, I'm a back row Baptist. If, if I wasn't up here doing this, I'd be sitting on the back row somewhere. Somebody would have to, um, you know, maybe by the chairman of the deacons, but I don't know about that. Um, um, so we were sitting at the back of the Gloriata Baptist Conference Center auditorium. It's a huge thing, right? And so we're sitting way at the back. And um, so she was cutting up, but I was trying to listen to the sermon. <laughs> well, somebody was cutting up. But um, <clears throat> I was listening to the sermon. Richard Jackson was the preacher that day. He was pastor at uh, a church in Phoenix, North Phoenix Baptist Church, and uh, a great ministry he had and. I honestly don't know what he was preaching about. I'm sure it was good. He was good all week long. But that particular night, I was not that sure about what he was saying because I kept hearing God say this to me. Uh, Your days as a youth minister are over. It's time for you to preach. And so I'm sitting in a church service, and I know that's not what Richard Jackson was preaching about. I know it can't be what he was preaching about because it was so clear and so direct and so specific a word for me. Your time for doing youth ministry is over. It's time for you to preach. And I couldn't get away from it. And so I was listening and trying, you know, just one ear trying to listen and be involved in the service and the other ear was trying to make sense of what God was saying. And so I started doing these spiritual gymnastics where, where I, you know, I was just kind of rolling it over and I was rolling around in this word from God. And finally, when the service was over, I told Teresa, look, I've got to go do some time with the Lord. And so, because I'm a great spiritual giant, I handed her my Bible for some reason. I said, I'll see you back at the room later. And she knew something was up, but she didn't know exactly what was up. So she went and got the kids and went back. And I went up just a little bit behind where that uh, auditorium was under this big, huge boulder up in the mountains of New Mexico. Uh, And it was just me and God doing business. And I couldn't get away from this. I'm telling you, your days as a youth minister are over. It's time for you to preach. And I remember getting to a point where I finally resigned myself into that. And I said, okay, Lord, so I just need to know this is you. I'm, I'm dense, sorry. I just need to know this is you talking to me and not just me talking to myself. And God said this, Romans ten fourteen. Okay, now, this total confession time, I'm telling you, I have no clue, had no clue what Romans ten fourteen said. And I didn't have a Bible because I let my wife take it away. So I'm sitting in the, I mean, way dark up there underneath this rock and, and I'm doing business with God and I'm crying because I know this is a real moment, a holy moment in my life. And all, I just keep hearing Romans ten fourteen. And so the message no longer was, it's time for you to stop doing youth ministry. I want you to preach. Now the message was Romans ten 14. I'm sure the Lord was doing that so that I wouldn't forget it. 
So after a little bit of time, I went back to the room. And when I walked in the room, Teresa looked at me. She knew something was up. She even said something to me. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she was spot on. And so I grabbed my Bible and I went to Romans 10, 14. Here's what Romans 10, 14 says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let me tell you something. There's not a way in the world anybody could convince me of anything other than God gave me a change in my calling that day. And the reason for that is because it's not a matter of argument for me. It is established truth. It was God speaking into my situation exactly what his plan was for me from that point forward in my life. Hear me say it again. God didn't stop giving specific, situation-specific input to his people in the book of Deuteronomy. He still does that. He's done that with me on multiple occasions throughout the course of my life. This is not just those big, high, holy moments in our life. This is every moment, every situation of our life. God has something to say about how we should approach those things. So part of our responsibility individually is to, to be in a position where we can hear that from him. But the, here's the deal. I was having this discussion with somebody this week. We so structure our lives and we so plan our lives and then we start operating in crisis mode. And so we go from one event to another event, from one crisis that opens the door for another crisis and we cram so much stuff into a short period of time that God would have to work a miracle to get through to us because we're busy and our heads are busy and our thoughts are busy and and all of this stuff just crowds in on us and sometimes we just have to put a stop to all of it. I'll pick up on what Kenny was. You ought to be preaching, man. You're doing a good job, brother. Man, I think sometimes when he finished, I'm going, let's just have an invitation, man. Okay, Kenny's spot on. We, sometimes we need to vacate. Sometimes we, and we don't ever want God to vacate, but we need to vacate and go, okay, I'm just going to stop because if we don't build time for relationship, then God has to do something drastic to get our attention. So on an individual basis this morning, this is really just the, kind of the precursor into the real part of the message, but this is so critical. So on an individual level, What's going on in your life this morning that you really do need to hear what God has to say to you? Maybe it's a relationship issue, an extended family member, a neighbor, a boss. Maybe it's financial stuff. You know, occasionally some people really do have problems like, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> if that's not you today and you're at the one going, Where I need extra money. You know, do you think God cares about that? Do you think God might have something to say to you about those financial issues? I'm not trying to get in your wallet. I'm just trying to get into your spirit this morning. Because I think God cares about that stuff. But let's talk about us as a church as it relates to this. As I said earlier, we're at a crossroads at a church, at least one set of crossroads as a church. 
end of February, our music minister let it be known that he felt like God was moving him on, and so he moved on. And so here we are as a church, going through the spring and now into the summer. And we have a group of people that has been elected by this church to be about the process of trying to find a new music minister. So let, let's try this on. As a church, do we need that music minister search committee to just function at that big overarching truth of God? Well, we believe God has somebody for us. We believe that God's going to send somebody. Is that all right for them just to function at that level? Or would you rather them be able to pinpoint the person that God says specifically, this is the person for this job? See what I mean? Let's, let's not reduce this to just those big decisions in our life. Let's pull it down and it fits everything. So us as a church, we want that person that fits God's design for us. So one of the things that I'm going to encourage you to be doing is pray for your music minister search committee so that they might hear the voice of God when he specifically says, here you go, that's who I'm sending to you. By the way, it wouldn't hurt to be praying for that same person who was on the other end of things who needs to hear God say, that's where you need to go. I put that on us, Teresa and I. Six years ago, almost to the day, six years ago, we visited this church because we were in a process with the pastor search committee from Crestwood about whether or not we should come here to be pastor. And I'll promise you, I wasn't asking God for some general kind of truth about whether he was possibly moving us somewhere. I wanted to know from him, is this the place? Now, you might miss, disagree with the answer to that, but God said to me, this is the place. And we're here because it said the same thing to the search committee and to us as a church. You see how specifically God works? So as a church, as we go forward, we're much like the children of Israel camped out on the Jordan River ready to go across. We need to hear what God has to say to us today. Because I'll assure you, other changes are coming down the pike where we're going to need to hear God's word. It's just the way life is. All right? So you're with me on that. So let me add a little twist to this at the end of it to say... Failure to get that specific input from God negatively impacts our capacity of going forward with God. I'll say that a different way. If we really believe that God has specific input for us on a day-to-day basis, individually and corporately, then it follows that if we miss God's specific input, we're going to have a harder time following faithfully what he has for us. Let me finish my story for you. And I don't usually tell this part of the story. But that night that God said to me definitively, your days as a youth minister are over. It's time for you to preach. The next day at Gloria, now this was before the days of cell phones and all that kind of stuff. I guess they had bag phones back then, but... I didn't carry a car around with me big enough to carry one of those bag phones. And so if you, if you were at Glorietta and you got a message through the conference center, they had a big message board there and you could walk by and they would pin it on the deal. And I walked by this bulletin board and there was this note there with my name on it. I thought, ha, my lucky day, somebody looking for me. Uh, 
And so I went and pulled it off and looked at it, and I had received the phone call and was asked to return the phone call to a person who was uh, at a church in Huntsville, Texas. Now, going into that whole situation that, that week at Glorietta, I had been for the previous uh, probably two months, I had been in discussions with a church, a large church in Huntsville, Texas, about going to be their student ministry. And so, as it turns out, what they were asking of me, if, if I was going to end up being that guy, was to be their college minister and their student minister for uh, middle school and high school students, and with a strong emphasis on discipleship. In other words, it was, for me at the time, it was a dream job to be able to do youth ministry at that level with college students, and I had already had significant experience with that, uh, and to do it at a church that was a happening church. I mean, they were reaching college students for God's glory, and Huntsville needed a vibrant... All of that came together, and so when they started interviewing me, I was going, well, I don't really know, I don't like to move, but... Um, and so we went off to Glorietta with that still hanging out there. So when I got that message, I saw uh, who it was, and so I went over to the payphone and I called them and they offered me that job. The morning after, God said, your days as a youth minister are over. It's time for you to preach. So I'm not nearly as spiritual as you think I am because in my spirit I was going, man, this is the job that I've been preparing for all my life. And now God has given me a directive that says, don't take it. And so I told him, I'm sorry, but last night God changed my call. The truth that I'm pushing here is, if we don't listen for the specific input of God for our circumstances, we're not going to be ready for the next set of circumstances. If we're going to be faithful to him, we've got to hear what he says. Because what he says to us today prepares us for what comes tomorrow. You with me? All right. So here's the problem that that gives us. I call it situational focus. You've heard this from me before. It's nothing new. It's a good kind of a reminding time, just like Moses was doing with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. Situational focus occurs when we shift our focus off of God and the message that he's given us, and we put it onto the circumstances and the situations around us. Situational focus has the very real possibility, probability, I would say, of moving us away from God's promise and directive into a life that marginalizes God's word in our life. The circumstances of our life can rise up in such a way that they almost seem to choke God out of the picture of our lives. And when that happens, it leaves us making this choice. Do I trust God or not? Now, finally, to the passage I wanted us to get to today in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Listen to how this happens with the children of Israel, and I'll highlight a few things as we go. But in chapter 1, verse 19, And then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. 
And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Do you hear the certainty of that? Hello? Do you hear? Okay. Moses says that this is the land that the Lord our God might give us. We hope he gives us. Is giving us. That's a certain. How, do, how could Moses say that? And the answer is he had heard it directly from God. Specific. All right. Verse 21. See, you want some specific? <laughs> That's hard to say. You want specific? Here's specific. Verse 21. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up. Take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's specific. Marching orders, if you will. Verse 22, then all of you came. Uh, then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the day by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. Now, let me stop for a second, and I'm just going to make a statement here because I, I know I won't get to it later in my notes. This is one of those little elements here. They had the specific word of God, but now they're thinking strategically. That's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, the passage here opens the door for us to see that it's not just not a bad thing. It also might well be God's design for them. When I went, God called me also another time he did this with us is he called us specifically out of my job in the oil field, we had three-month-old son. Our marriage was falling apart, and we knew that we better do what God told us to do. He, so he invaded one of our Sundays, and he said, I told you I want you to go off to school because, son, you need education. Okay, we had run from the Lord before. Two weeks later, we had quit my job and moved to Plainview, Texas. Right? You know why we did this? Because a very specific statement from God, it's time move. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't figure out how I was going to pay for school. I didn't even have a job when we moved. Now I'm going to tell you today, <laughs> I, I like to be a little more uh, strategic about stuff than that. But you know what? I go back to that. God said, no one doubt. I mean, clearly it's time you get it off and go. So we went, but God often will say to us, here's my directive for you. He said to them, this land is yours. I'm giving it to you. He did not tell them exactly how that's happening. So that causes us to step back and go, okay, so let's be strategic about this. So if you put this and overlay this passage with Numbers 13, you'll find that there seems to be a little bit of um, the need to figure out how that all fits together. Here's what I think it does. And you go back and compare them when you get a chance. I believe the way this lays out is the children of Israel come to Moses and they say to him, hey, okay, it's time for us to go. We get it. God's taking us over there. He's given it to us. But why don't we send some spies over there? Well, as a matter of fact, we find that in this passage. I'll read it in just a second. Moses hears that and he says, well, that sounds good to me. Maybe we should ask God about it. There's good strategy planning. And so God says, it's a good idea. So let's keep reading. Where did I stop? All right, so don't help me. That's fine. Verse 24. Um, no, verse 22. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. Their request is, let's send spies over to figure out the route that we're going to go. Not a bad plan. 
Verse 23, the thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned out, or, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskel and spied it out. Verse 25, and they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Let's not miss this. Because Deuteronomy lays out some really good truth for us at this point. They had God's specific directive on what they're supposed to do. They've been strategic and they've sent these guys in there to check it out. That's all with God's stamp of approval. While they're there, they see enough for them to say, this is a good plan. And they hold on to the truth that God is giving them this land. So far, everything is swimmingly going now. But here's the problem. Situational focus raises its head. Because the situation is not all honey with no bees. There is, in fact, some problem in this. Verse 26, yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Why? Verse 27, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heaven. And besides... We have seen the sons of the Anakim there. In other words, there's giants in the land. Situational focus moves the children of Israel to take their focus off of God and the promises that he has given and the directive that he has given very specifically to them. And they look over and all they see are giants and cities whose walls reach into the heavens and they're bigger than we are and they're badder than we are and we have no hope. It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt as slaves. What? Situational focus is a very real problem for God's people. So let's call it what it is. When we fall victim to our own situational focus and marginalize marginalize God, we are essentially saying, God's not big enough to deliver. That is a dangerous thing for God's people. Because situational focus, if we let it run its course, will keep us from doing and being what God called us to do and to be. So we have to be careful about that. How do we keep that from happening? How do we keep from letting our focus be on all the limitations rather than on being faithful to what God calls us to do? One of the things that happens is we start doubting. We doubt things like, well, did I really hear from God? So I'll take you back to that rock up in the mountains of New Mexico. You know why I remember that rock so much? Because I did battle with spiritual forces at that spot. 
I don't ever forget wars where I take shots. But in that particular moment where God said in no uncertain terms, this is me, this is my plan, and now you make a choice. Will you be obedient or not? You know what? I remember that like it was yesterday. But sometimes the situation triggers this doubt for us and we start doubting, did I hear from God right or did I get the specifics right? So let me just suggest this, that if you just feel like you have to doubt something, why don't you just doubt your doubt rather than doubt God's word? Just call it what it is. You know what, God, I'm, I have a hard time being faithful. I have a hard time settling in to your promises and your directives if it's hard. So I recognize that's my problem, not yours. So help me hold to the truth. For Israel, they had plenty in their background to allow them to be faithful in the moment. So they're going to go in, and there's some established cities there. We know the story of Jericho over in the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. So we know that God's good enough. We have the benefit of that. They didn't have at this particular point. But you know what they did have at this particular point? They had the fact that, that God delivered them miraculously out of the hand of the Egyptians in the first place. Remember the plagues and all that stuff? And the world's probably at the time, the world's foremost military power was totally incapacitated as those children of Israel marched out because God made it happen. They had that in their background. They should have remembered that. They got right up to the border of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies and his chariots are coming after them and they had the ability to look backwards to that event and remember that God circumvented nature, performed a miracle, the Red Sea parted, they went across. And then God closed, God's timing is always perfect and so just at the right time, Pharaoh's armies are out in that going after them and the waters closed back up over the top of them. Let me tell you something, Israel had plenty of reasons to trust God. If that's not enough, they got thirsty, he gave them water out of a rock. They got hungry, he gave them manna, he gave them quail. They had battles that they should not have won, that they did win. God had given them every reason they needed to trust him and take him at his word. But their situational focus killed it. So they went back to the wilderness. If we push God to an also ran kind of a role in our lives, he's there, but he's not that big of a deal. We invite his discipline on us as a church or as individuals. God did not bring you or us this far to abandon us suddenly. We have a history with him. He's good for his promises. Our responsibility is to walk with him and to hear his voice and to respond appropriately. So our summer reading has little to do with books and everything to do with reading the signs around us and the situations around us through the filter of God's promise. Because he has not abandoned us. 
as we go through the rest of the summer and all of the stuff that happens and busyness and all that kind of stuff, certainly situations will arise that will cause us to go, I just don't know. Listen, God did not bring us this far to abandon us now. Hold on to his word. Let's pray. And as we pray, we go to invitation time. The question is, what is God's specific word to your life today? Are you living under those promises? Regardless of the circumstances of your life, are you trusting God to fulfill his word in your life? Do you know Christ as your Savior? The, the first thing is to have a relationship with him in the first place. So do you know him? If not, why not? And If you don't know him and you're not too sure about that, well, let's talk about that. But it all begins with a relationship with God. You only get that through Jesus Christ. But then it becomes this lifelong fellowship and walk with him. What is his word for you in your circumstances? Are you holding on to that? Where's God in all of this? Are you putting too much stock in the circumstances? And if so, now's a good time to just call it what it is and say, okay, God, I need help with this. Help me to see you and not the circumstances. Father, we ask that you take this time and be glorified in it. Change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.